Take your Bible, and, and will you go, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's our memory verse this, uh, this month. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, while you're turning there, I want to talk to you about overcoming temptations. I want to talk to you about, uh, and it's, uh, it's at least two, two different messages, maybe three, I don't know, but how to press on in spite of temptations. Um, this is us, okay? And how do we deal with the fact that we're constantly battling temptations? Christians sometimes have to battle sin in their life, but there is an important battle that very few seem to win at, and that is battling the temptation to sin. So I'm going to talk to you about how to battle and overcome temptations. Um, now that says Isaiah 40, 31, that's left over, forgive me. Uh, but um, uh, when it comes to handling temptations, most of us were taught as children to not do some things. Hopefully you were taught to never lie, to never steal, Hopefully you were taught to be nice when someone is being mean to you. But most of us, as we tried hard, we failed. Usually the temptation was just too great. So you found yourself that when you were caught doing something that you shouldn't be doing, you lied to cover it up. When you saw other friends having what you wanted, you stole it for yourself. And then when somebody bullied you, you punched them. So that was as children. And then we grew up and guess what? Temptations got more powerful, didn't they? At some point, most people decide, uh, let me catch up here, that it isn't worth the effort to resist. Uh, is it, it, most people decide it isn't worth the effort to do the right thing, to, to resist temptation, especially when everyone else around us seems to be getting away with it. They seem to be fine doing what you've been taught was wrong. And then comes Jesus, and he calls us to be holy. He calls us to live free of sin's grip and its consequences. But the question is, how do we, how are we supposed to relate to um, temptation? How do we, how are we, how are we supposed to understand it? Do we fear it? Do we fear being tempted? You know, there's a generation, there are a couple of hundred years where people feared temptation. And so people moved into monasteries and went to nunneries. Some guys built huge poles and lived on top of the pole, thinking that if they just got away from temptation, they would be a better man. Then there's the other extreme called hedonism that just gives into whatever comes into your mind or whatever your heart desires, and you give into it constantly. Folks, how do you understand temptation? Do you even care? Well, I hope you do. Overcoming temptation is a missing ingredient in most Christian thinking. Most Christians are always worrying about overcoming sin, about how to recover from sin. That's a bit too late, don't you think? It's like, all right, now how am I going to deal with the accident after I've crashed? No, that's not. How do you keep from crashing? How do you keep from uh, changing lanes without the signal and, and causing an accident? So we, we, we need to work on the tempting part. Because a lot of Christians get trapped because they're not aware that Jesus equips us with the ability to overcome temptation long before we sin. Let's pray. Father, bless these truths, God. Please put a, a hunger in our heart to have victory over temptation as much as we have victory over sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the battle with temptation looks like this, all right? You're minding your own business. You're out for a walk, and then temptation comes along and grabs your attention. It's as if it comes along and invites you to lunch. You're tempted 
to disobey God. You're tempted to sin, to do what you know is wrong to do. It seems, however, so romantic to you, so innocent, so normal, maybe so fun. And I want you to take note that it grabs you, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, you either ignore it, or you resist it and wrestle with it, or you give in to it. People usually give in to temptation. You say, well, I don't give in to Well, what you mean is you don't give in to some temptations, but everyone gives in to temptations. And if you give in to temptation, you then have the guilt and the shame and the consequences for disobeying God. And the reality sets in like the hangover from deciding to stop into the pub, like the pregnancy that you didn't want, like the loss of employment, bar fights, marriage fights, wasted days and a wasted life. All because when temptation came knocking, you went, oh, nice to see you. <laughs> Did you know it was not the sin of adultery, not only the sin of adultery that ruined David's life. It was David letting temptation win his attention. Wouldn't it be good to be able to handle temptation instead of always struggling with the consequences of our sin? Well, that brings us to our memory verse that we are focusing on this month, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I want to read that out loud again, and then we're going to just look at the first half. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It's one of the greatest promises to the Christian. Not It's not a promise that I'm going to be tempted. But the last half of the verse, actually the last two-thirds of the verse is, but God. God is faithful who will make a way to escape. Now that's for next week. I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to look at the first section there. Because the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us basically and expects us to understand what temptation is. And he implies what it can and cannot do in the life of the believer. Could it be that we Christians are missing the whole point of the faithfulness of God while we're focusing on temptation? We're focusing on what we shouldn't do. We're focusing on, on, on oh, I, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that. And yes, you've got to do that. It's like when you're driving, you can't just cross a lane without the indicator. You can't just uh, drive off onto the, onto the side. You have to do it in stages. But if you're constantly worried about all those things and not focusing on the faithfulness of God, you will crash and burn. So this morning, I want us to look at the first half of the verse and learn as much as possible about temptations, about why we get tempted and how we can experience the faithfulness of God to find that escape. You do know that doing the will of God is the greatest purpose of man, don't you? Yet sin will hinder you from doing God's will. Satan will work hard to stop you from doing God's will. And Satan, temptation often is our worst enemy. Not just the sin to disobey, not just our own will, but the temptation to do our own will. See, God meant for temptations to be nothing more than distractions. They were never supposed to mean our ruin. Compared to a long-distance runner on a road, okay? Here's uh, Joe. Joe is going on a long run. Um, he's waited until the 20-kilometer uh, allowance, maybe. And But alongside of that road, he's in a race. And there are other runners, but he's on that race. And on the sides of the road are loads of spectators. They're watching him. You know what those spectators are? Distractions. 
There are pretty girls out there waving at him. There are people eating hot, drippy pizza along the sideline. Some people are sitting there on their lawn chair and waving at him while they're relaxing and the runner is just struggling to breathe. And then along the way, the distraction comes where the pain hits and you, you, you hit that wall and the sides ache and you just can't get enough air. You know what all of those are? They're called temptations. They're pulls. They're distractions. They're diversions from the race that will ruin your place in the race. And if you yield to your temptation, you go off and you grab yourself a piece of pizza, you may lose the race. Um, back in the old sailing days of the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, sailors told of their hardship of sailing month-long voyages across the Atlantic and even year-long voyages around South America and the southern ports of Africa on their way to the Chinese ports. And they described how hard it was to just stay the course on those long journeys because the temptation was always there to turn around and go back, to just pull in and end the journey at some port. And those temptations are still present with us today. Now this morning, I want to start with that first part of the verse there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Let's start off there. There hath no temptation. Just stop there. Paul takes it for granted that you and I know what temptation is. Maybe some don't. Do you ever wonder what that means? What is a temptation? A temptation, technically, look it up in the dictionary, you look it up in a lexicon, it says it is the enticement to evil. In other words, it is anything that activates a wrong passion in me. There are right passions, but there are wrong passions and something that activates that wrong passion in me is a temptation. Anything that makes sin reasonable in my mind, anything that makes sense to me about a sin that says it'll be okay is a temptation. Anything that lures me to disobey God or his will is a temptation. It is the turning of my attention away from the will of God onto anything else. Next week, I'll tell you. I wish I could spend three weeks on this, just this one thought. We think that we're tempted to do the worst evil, but we're actually tempted to do some things that are good. It's not that we're tempted to always do evil. We're sometimes tempted to do something good, but it's just not the will of God at that moment. And it is imperative that we learn, I've got to know what the will of God is, and I've just got to stay with it, even when something else may make more sense, something else may be better, something may, may be more beneficial to someone else. And I'm not considering... No, that's a temptation. So don't get the idea that a temptation is only for you to go and murder someone, or only for you to go commit adultery, or only for you to go rob the bank. No, temptation has got so many different colors, so many different flavors. And one, maybe one, the temptation may be to do something is just as good as what you already are doing, and you cannot judge it on that basis. So there is no temptation teaches me that, wait a minute, I've got to understand what temptation is. In simple words, temptation is a test of our faith in the goodness and the rightness of God. God may ask you to stay single all your life. It may be, in your mind, better to be married. Amen. But God may ask you to stay single. And you're going to be tempted. Oh, but I want this. Or God may ask you to stay right in Ireland when you want to move away. 
I understand that. The, the, the desire may be there's better things out there. There's better jobs. I but when God's will is at stake, you're, 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 my, the temptation is not to move. The temptation is not to marry someone. Temptation is not to do something else. The temptation is, am I trusting the goodness of God right where I am right now? Is he right to tell me, stay? I got to thinking about what are people tempted to eat, tempted to do, well, they're tempted to eat. They're tempted to overeat. I mean, we're on holiday and they talk about flattening the curve. My wife says, we've got some curve to flatten here, but we're tempted to lie about being sick and staying in bed sometimes. We're tempted to hide our income from the tax man. People are, are tempted to exaggerate their accomplishments, blame everyone else but themselves. That's a temptation. People are tempted to constantly wish for a better husband or a sweeter wife. They're tempted to compare themselves with other people. They're tempted to flaunt their wealth or complain about their poverty. They're tempted to sit on their smartphones for long hour upon wasted hour with no qualms, no guilt, no shame. They're tempted to sit in superiority over the Bible and the gospel thinking they know better. The list would go on and on and on. We are a tempted race. What is temptation like? Oh, let me... What is temptation like? Well, I'll tell you what it's, it's like in simple words. It's like a magnet, okay? Now, sin is like the magnet. It's a very strong magnet, by the way. And my nature is like metal. It is easily pulled by the magnet. The, uh, the, you pick, take a paper clip, you take a magnet, that paper clip just, 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 just uh, there's, there's no way to fight it. That pull is incredible. So how is anyone supposed to resist the pull of that magnet? People actually will tell me and say, oh, I've overcome, I've, you know, I've gotten over smoking or I stopped drinking, amen. But what other sin popped up? You know, a lot of people, they stop smoking and then boom, they're eating like tomorrow doesn't, is not coming. Some people become angry and frustrated for the rest of their life when they put down the bottle or they put down the cigarettes or whatever. Let me tell you, you may think you got something conquered but something else will pop up. Temptation is like a magnet to metal. I'm the metal. It's also, temptation is also like lure or bait or a carrot. I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, a carrot stick, use a carrot uh, to, um, to incite people, uh, to incite, to encourage people to do something. Satan designs something that looks, smells, and seems so much better than the will of God. Like, like, a, like a worm is to a fish. And so we go for it. It's also, in many ways, temptation is a lot like, like I said, that carrot. Now, this is called a mule, all right? A mule is a strangely designed creature, all right? A cross between uh, uh, this, this animal here um, is, is by nature very stubborn. How do you get that animal to pull when it doesn't want to pull. Well, you put that carrot dangling in front of him and that mule begins to move thinking he's going to get that carrot. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's sad, but uh, we're the same. You say, oh, I don't have a carrot for me. Yeah, but you've got a pay raise or you got a girlfriend or you've got uh, 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 you know secret opportunities or things that dangle in front of you and the devil dangles in front of you and you run after him. You're just as stubborn as that mule, not wanting to do the will of God. And so the devil gets you running your own way.
No wonder God says, be content with the things that you have. Because the devil's always going to show you something you don't have and put it just outside of your reach, and you will spend your rest of your life running after it. By the way, Satan's called the tempter. And that's a very important term. That's what Satan loves to do. Take your Bible, hold your place. Well, just leave it for a minute. We're going to go to two scriptures, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Matthew 4, 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter, that's one of Satan's most favorite titles, the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God. And so began the temptation. But go to Genesis chapter three and let's see the first temptation. Genesis chapter three and verse one. Genesis chapter 3, and the devil doesn't always show up and give us a temptation where he shows his true nature. He comes as a beautiful creature. He comes as somebody that you don't expect would talk and walk and deceive. So Genesis chapter 3 says, now the serpent was more subtle. Think about that word. That's deceptive. If somebody's subtle, it's like a magician by a subtle movement of the hand. You don't see where the card went, but in a subtle way, he deceived you. He put it away. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, spake unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden? What did he do right there? He just lied. And the woman said unto the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And he lied again. Verse 5, for God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He's a liar. You know what he's doing? He's setting a trap. He's trying to get her to realize that all she is is a human. If she wants to be like God, isn't that the first sin that Satan had? He wanted to be like God. So he got Eve to want to be like God and said, you will be like God if you just do your own thing. Find out what evil is like. Find out that God's not all knowing and all powerful and always right. So verse six is the key. And when the woman saw, and now she's, she's processing it, she's looking at it, she's analyzing. When she saw the tree was, it wasn't evil. It wasn't poison. It wasn't dripping with worms. When she saw that the tree was good for food, cross that off. I guess God was wrong there. It's a good fruit. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, it, it just looked so inviting. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Oh, it's going to make me a better person. She acted. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. So Satan could not force Eve and Adam to sin but he could tempt them. He could tempt them to do their own thing. And by doing that, they would end up disobeying God. You know, the first sin was not murder. The first sin was living without God, doing your own thing, thinking that God's not always right. You're going to do your own thing. So he, he lied to them. He attracted them to a level that was beyond them, like a carrot saying, you'll be as God's. And that's when Eve, Eve was uh, enticed and that was when 
she debated in her heart and that's when she decided to go ahead. And that was when Adam came along and he willfully decided to follow his wife and not God anymore. You know, Satan's very good at this, folks. He knows exactly how to ruin not only the whole human race, but he knows how to ruin each and every one of us. Listen to John. Go to John chapter 8 now. John chapter 8, and this ought to scare you. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Jesus speaking to the crowd there, especially to the Pharisees, and he says, Year of your father, the devil. And the lusts, underline that word, circle that word, the lusts of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Didn't the Pharisees end up murdering Jesus? I wonder whose lust they were fulfilling. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and he's the father of it. Once you understand, Adam and Eve were fulfilling the lusts of Satan's dark heart when they took of that fruit. What an awful thought. David was not only lusting that night on the rooftop of his house, looking out into a window of a married woman's house, but bedroom. David ended up fulfilling the lusts of Satan. Every time you and I debate a sinful thought or a sinful attitude or a sinful act, we're actually allowing Satan to get his thrills through us. I hope that terrifies you. Because it's not about you having the freedom to do what you want. It's whether you're following a, a pull that's, a, that's from a lusting devil. Let's talk about the next thing. Taking you. These are some more scary words. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you. Just, just right there. The truth is, temptation takes you down a different path than God wants for your life. That's the word takes you. It takes you from the ones you love and who love you. Isn't that what drink did? Some people who for 30 years lived a drunkard life, that first drink, that first temptation to join with the buddies, to become like everybody else, took you away from everyone who loved you and everyone you loved. It certainly takes you for a ride. That's what we called it when we were uh, kids. But it will only leave you off for the worst. Temptation never leaves you off for the better. You're never tempted to do better, you're provoked to do better, but you're not tempted. Look what temptation can do. And I'm not talking about what sin can do. We know what sin does. The wages of sin is death. But the question is, what does temptation do to me? It grabs, it, it, it surprises out of nowhere. It, it, um, um, it trips me up. I mean, it's like, it's like someone just showing up and pow, just throws you over onto your face. Beyond that, it pulls you onto a different course and then pulls you into its trap. Uh, just, like that, uh, just like fish looking at that worm thinking, oh, it's going to be a beautiful lunch this morning. Not realizing that temptation uh, is, is going to ruin that fish's life. Um, you ever heard of a plant called the Venus flytrap? Let's see if I've got that here. I don't think I do. I might have forget forgotten it. Um, you ever heard of a Venus flytrap? Inside the petals of that flytrap, normally it's set open like this. And it's just sitting there. And on both sides of both of those petals is some of the most amazingly wonderful smelling sweet nectar. 
that God could ever create. And it's just coated on the top of that plant. But it's within a, a confines. As a matter of fact, what's unique is just outside, it looks like these fibers, but they're pretty firm, like teeth, just outside of those, those two petals. But it's open. And guess what? A fly comes along and, mm, and as he's walking along inside, uh, he or she, I don't know what a fly is, uh, goes inside there, that plant begins to quickly close up and then squish that fly to death and it's lunch for the plant. Kind of, kind of amazing. Temptation is a lot like that Venus flytrap. Uh, it, it's a very aggressive thing. Temptation is not there just to tickle your fancy. It's not a passive thing that you sort of go, you, you smell food cooking and it's not really, it doesn't really interest you. No, temptation is more than just an aroma. A temptation is a pull. It is a grab. It takes you. It grabs you and tries to pull you off course. In wrestling, the, two, the purpose, uh, the, the only way to win is to have the upper hand and not let the other person pull you down and pin you down. You've got to pull them down and pin them down. And when temptation grabs you, you cannot let it pull you all the way down. So uh, when we mishandle temptation, we end up watching our lives be ruined. You know what temptation does is you if you live in, under constant temptation, it'll wear you down. It'll get you desensitized. It'll make you used to the pull. You won't be repulsed by sin anymore. Temptation will confuse you if you're constantly being tempted. You'll start thinking, well, maybe it's not so wrong after all. And that's a very, that's a very important thing to go, you know, what am I allowing myself to constantly be tempted with? And it will get your attention on things you weren't interested in before. Watch this thought. Most modern sin training is done in the movies. Do you know, back in the 1940s, 1950s, not everybody smoked, okay? But when they popularized smoking, you see Jimmy Dean, and he'd have a cigarette pack on the side of his T-shirt folded up, and you'd see all the fancy movie stars from 1930, 1940, 1950, all of them smoking all the time. You know what they did? It popularized it. People don't grow up. People don't decide that I'm going to go and suck on a burning wad of weed, but if you see it there and it prepares you and it gets you and that temptation gets you to thinking about it, what you never would think about. Most people don't think about sex outside of marriage until they see it over and over and over in marriage. So uh, in, in movies, so easy. And they think it's going to be just as easy out in the real world. Temptation is not a passive thing. It's an aggressive, destructive thing. That's why a Christian's faith has to be very active. You have to have an active faith. One of the best ways to counteract temptation is to live your faith, is to go out and go soul winning and give your testimony and to be at church and to, to hand out gospel tracts and to go to people and, 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 and serve them when your flesh doesn't want to. Because if you're not actively living your faith, you're actively under the pull of temptation. Now, you're always going to be under the pull of temptation, but you have a response, which I'll talk about more next week. I'll show you a verse. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 in verse 8. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Verse 9, but they that will be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Did you notice that? If you want to be rich, if you seek to be rich, you will fall into temptation and a trap, a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, money's not the problem, the love of it, the temptation to love it is the root of all evil going on in this world, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's what, uh, when you don't understand temptation, you don't handle temptation well, you will fall in the same traps of countless numbers of people in history who thought they, that it was, it, it was okay, that uh, uh, people swapped out being a missionary for starting a business and they made the money and they had the wife and they had the kids and they, they had, but they left the will of God and souls went to hell and there was no joy, no reward in heaven. And in the end, they had nothing but regrets and sorrow. So our faith has to be active, folks. You have to, if you want to fight temptation, if you want to overcome temptation, make your faith active. It already is alive. God put eternity inside your heart. Start living that life. And then he says these last words. We're going to focus on two more thoughts here, but these are the last words there in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. says, uh, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Common. Temptation's pull is common to everyone. Every Christian is tempted. Every one of us are pulled, grabbed, drawn away from the will of God. There's not a single person alive that doesn't in some way battle manifold waves of temptations at time during their life. They may not look like they're suffering. Oh, pastor, you seem to never handle, never to be tempted. You have no idea. Some people may not seem like they're battling temptations, but every person who is breathing is both tempted and struggling whether to give in to it. Obviously, Peter was tempted, wasn't he? When he was accused of being Jesus' disciple, he crumbled and he lied and says, I do not know the man. Obviously, Judas was tempted by the dangling of 30 pieces of silver to sell out Jesus to the Pharisees. But go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it was, oh, that was Judas. Well, that was Peter. Yeah, but Paul. Acts chapter 20, in verse 17. Even the apostle Paul was tempted. Acts 20, 17 says this. From Miletus, he sent unto Ephesus and called the elders of the church there. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know that from the first day that I came into Asia... After what manner I have been with you all in all seasons, you saw my life lived right in front of you. Hard times, good times. Verse 19, serving the Lord. That's what you saw me doing. Serving the Lord with all humility in mind and with many tears and what? Temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Um, this... Um, uh, this idea that, you know, there's, there are saints who don't get tempted. And then there are the rest of us who, who constantly battle and lose out to temptation. That is a lie of the devil. You know what Paul was tempted with? Think about it. He was tempted to quit the ministry. I guarantee you more times than is recorded in the Bible. He was tempted to just roll over and die in prison. He thought about dying quite a bit sometimes. He said, it would have been better if I could, it would really be great if I could just go to be with Jesus. 
I just could just lie down here and just not eat and I'd die, but it is more needful for me to remain. He was tempted to fight back against so many accusations against him. People made up stuff about him all the time and he could have fought back against that. And he was tempted to sit and blame everyone he could think of for all of his problems. And he had quite a few, but he didn't, but he was tempted. Boy, was he tempted because he's made out of the same flesh you and I are made out of. Now, why are we tempted? Why are we temptable? I made that word up. It's not a real word. Why, why do we get tempted? Well, first thought, you can't, oh, you can't blame God. James 1 says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted of evil himself, and neither tempteth he any man. You can't really only blame Hollywood either. Can't only blame the internet and the TV and the radio or your smartphone. Well, if I didn't have this smartphone, I wouldn't be watching so many things that I shouldn't be watching. No, it's not the smartphone that's your problem. The blame's in us. There's something broken, defective in every one of us. In simple words, go to Romans chapter 7 now. To the right from Acts, go to Romans chapter 7. Sin is not only out there, outside of me. It's already in every one of us. It's in our nature. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. It's right. But I am carnal. That's my nature. I'm, I'm focused on me. I'm sold, I'm in bondage under sin. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, what I would do, that do I not. What I do want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. It's good for me to have rules and restrictions and limits. Verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it because I don't want to do it but sin that dwells where? In me. Why are we so tempted? Because not only am I a sinner that sins, but I have sin in me. I am broken and defective. You know what? Sin loves to be tempted. Sin loves the magnet to come along. So how does temptation work? Well, let's go to James. I quoted from it, but let's look at it now. James chapter 1. These are fundamental things you've got to understand for you to get the victory over not only sin, but over temptation. James chapter 1 and verse 14. You can't say that God is tempting you, so you can't blame God. So verse 13, verse 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is, number one, drawn away of his own, what? Our own lust, what's already in us. Jesus said, it's not what you eat that ruins you. It's what's already in your heart that ruins you when you activate it. He's enticed, verse 14, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Ah, so I'm tempted, then comes sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Hmm. Uh, remember, Satan's our, the, our, our enemy. He's the tempter. He's always at work seeking for opportunities to pull us out of the Christian rate. So first thing I want you to see is Satan's watching us. He knows what we love and what we lust for. He notices what will attract us. He won't tempt you with things that won't attract you. You couldn't tempt me with a cigarette. Satan doesn't waste time trying to get me to want to smoke and defile my body. You couldn't, you couldn't make a beautiful enough cigarette to make me want to suck on it. 
but Satan knows what does attract me. So Satan will put up things in front of me that I already want, that I already lust for, and he does that with you as well. Isn't that funny? Because that's what the internet does. They put cookies, they call it a cookie. Isn't that a funny term? They put cookies on your internet browser to track what you look at and what you like and what you buy and what you spend your time watching so that it can put more stuff up there and more stuff up there to keep you buying and keep you going and clicking. That's funny. They got that from the devil. That's our nature. But Satan doesn't have to do anything. Now, I, I'm telling you, Satan watches us. He, he already knows us. He knows what we we're, what we're love and what we um, can be distracted by. But I don't even need Satan to tempt me. Sin already in me wants to be activated. So we get enticed. Enticed means drawn, lured, and hooked on something. You know, when you find yourself taking second looks at a girl, you can't stop noticing. Some people say we need to, you know, put burkas on females and guys need to wear, wear blinders and all this stuff. Listen, that, that's stupid. Girls do need to dress modestly. And God gives a generation of Christians who, again, want to dress modestly. But the problem is modest dress doesn't stop sinful men. And men can put blinders in on themselves all the time, keep themselves locked up somewhere, and they will still find a way to sin. So when you find yourself taking that second look at a girl, when you take a second and third look at an opportunity, you know it's probably wrong. You get an email saying, here's how to make 100,000 euros in one day. <laughs> Just send 1,000 euros to this address. Yeah. You start thinking about it going, I wonder if it's real. I wonder if it's true. I wonder if I can make that. Listen, when you find yourself in that process of debating it, you've been enticed. You've been hooked. Satan's not attracting you to a pub for your benefit or your happiness. You know what? Sin, just remember this. Every temptation has a deadly hook in it, a catch. Satan's not attracting you to a pub for your benefit and your happiness. Satan doesn't draw your attention away from your wife or your husband for your benefit. He has a deep, hidden, piercing hook in every temptation. And once he has you hooked, it's very hard to get free. So where's my battle? My battle is not with the wrestling with sin in my life. The battle is wrestling with temptation so I don't sin. So sin, after it's enticed me, enticed, enticed me, lured me, hooked me, then it takes root and it conceives. You see that word there in verse 15? It says, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth a different life. It produces a life all its own. It produces a life that lives in disobedience to God. That's why people, after they've stepped out and after they've had that first uh, fornicating act, they get more comfortable with it after that. Uh, they don't have the qualm anymore about it because they're hooked. They don't even want to try to fight it anymore. They don't even want to repent and say, I want to be, I want to be right and ready for my future husband, my future wife. You see, it takes on an, uh, its own life then after that. No longer do you, you find it easy after you've given in to temptation, especially the big ones, Will you find it easy to just go back and start doing the will of God. That's the hook that's under the temptation. And that's the sin. And then sin, you know what happens? It slowly kills you. It says when sin is finished with you, you think about it. What a, what a way to talk. When it's finished using you up, 
when Satan is finished lusting through your life, he'll throw you away. Sin, when it is finished, it'll throw you away. It leads to death. You know, uh, temptation's cruel, even though it seems so pleasant, seems so romantic. When did sin begin in any of that? Did sin begin when, when, I, when I got attracted? Did sin begin when, when, I, when I realized, oh, that's wrong? Where did sin begin? You know when sin began? When it took root in my heart, when I allowed it to take residence in my thinking and in my heart. So being tempted is not a sin. Sin is when we debate, ponder, rationalize, justify, and desire to go on with that temptation to its logical end. Was Jesus tempted? Yes. Think about it. You think that he walked along and nothing pulled him. Nothing got his attention. Nothing had a grip and tried to um, pull him off course from the cross. But he never debated. He never looked at something and says, oh, that looks fun. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks like something I want to do. No, he never sinned. And that's why I follow him. Because only he knows how to lead away from sin. Now, here's a great thought. Even before you have ever gone your own way and disobeyed your conscience and you've disobeyed the word of God, you've actually sinned by the decision to sin. Let that ponder in your head for a minute. Think about it. You don't sin when you go and you murder someone. You sin when you think about it and you go, all right, I'm going to plan this thing out. They call it malice, premeditation. So long before a man murders someone, he has hated them in his heart, Jesus says, and has planned the act out to the letter. And Jesus says that that is just as wicked and just as sinful as the very act. That's why lust is so wicked. Because you've already given into the sin of fornication and to adultery even before you've ever committed it. So when you decide to do something is when sin occurs. And you've got to be able to say, I can't do that. I can't. I can't allow myself to entertain that conclusion. I'm going to go back to that question and say, was Jesus tempted? He sure was, because that's our hope. He felt the pull of temptation, yet he never yielded to it. Amen and amen and amen. Please go to Luke chapter 22. I'll show you something. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, 28. <clears throat> Luke twenty two twenty eight. 28. Ye, speaking to his disciples, he says, ye are they which have continued with me in my, what a word, in my temptations. Do you know those disciples were there when the Pharisees tempted Jesus to resist paying taxes? And I bet you have that same resistance, that, that, that same temptation. <laughs> those disciples were there when Jesus was... Tempted to defend himself against constant false accusations. The apostle John was there watching as they struck Jesus and Jesus was tempted to strike back. Jesus said, do you not know that I could call down 12 legions? That's well over 12,000 angels, but I won't do it. He was tempted. Those disciples were there when Jesus was, take, was tempted to make a soft bed to sleep on when he instead slept out in the open on the ground in the desert. I guarantee you, if you had to go for those three and a half years like Jesus did, 
going from very few accommodations. Most time he and his disciples had to sleep out in the rough, out in the open, under the sky, day after day, day after day. I bet you he was tempted. I wish I could go find a hotel. And Jesus says, you guys were with me during all those temptations. There in Matthew chapter four, verse one, it says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We looked at that earlier, to be tempted of the devil. You say, well, he couldn't be tempted. The devil wouldn't waste his time if he couldn't tempt. He had to find out if you really are the son of God. Let's find out because if you're not, you'll, you'll do what I'm telling you to do. Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four and verse 14. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.14, seeing then we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, that, that is passed all the way up into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, fast our profession, what we believe, for we have not, here's a double negative, I know we were taught never to use that in a sentence, but God does, and he says, for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, as if to say, we have a high priest who is touched who does feel our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So I want you to realize even Jesus was tempted. Now how he responded is our help. And I'm gonna finish with these thoughts. I wanna just give you six thoughts about his temptation. Look at Matthew chapter four and we're done. Like I said, I wish I could spend Sunday just on this. Let me whet your appetite. I might bring it up again next week, but here, just watch these words. I want you to see how Satan, how, how Jesus responded to the temptation. Hebrew, sorry, Matthew 4, my brain is all over the place. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days, just to make things really hard, and 40 nights, so he didn't eat fast during the day and eat at night. No, not like Ramadan. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was afterward, <laughs> he was hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Hey, you got a problem? Take care of it. You're the son of God. You can do anything, verse four. But he answered and said, it is written. Those three words are very powerful, circle them. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I don't live on bread alone, Jesus said. I live by the word of God. Verse 5, then the devil taketh them up on, into the holy city to Jerusalem, and he said to them on a pinnacle of the temple, at the very top of the temple there, and he said unto him, if thou be the son of God, if you really are, throw yourself down, cast thyself down, for it is written, I'll quote the Bible for you, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up. They'll hold you, lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. God won't let you hurt yourself if you fall. Verse seven, Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't push him. Don't ask God to take care of you when you're doing wrong. Verse eight, and the devil taking them up into an exceeding high mountain and he showed them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. I don't know what mountain he showed him, but on that mountain, he's able to see Rome and Paris and London, able to see New York City of all time, showed him, showed him uh, uh, Egypt and uh, Babylon and every nation, every kingdom, all the riches of all over the world and the glory of them. Verse nine, he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 11 is the best verse of the whole thing. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Six thoughts, six or seven thoughts. Number one, how did Jesus respond to the temptation? He met it head on. He was ready. It didn't caught him off guard. Now we get caught off guard. The devil, we're not, <clears throat> we're not like Jesus. We're not aware of everything. But he was ready, and I ought to be more ready for when the devil setting traps for me. That's how you survive in the Christian life. If you're constantly going to be surprised at how easily you're tempted, you need to start to learn how to be more aware of the devil's traps. Jesus was, was ready for the pull. He was prayed up. He was full of the Holy Spirit of God. He was mindful of powerful scriptures against Satan and temptation. He was already ready. A lot of, a lot of the people watching this right now haven't read their Bible through yet, and they're saved five, ten years. You have no idea the power of that book against temptation. And Jesus, the first thing, and every time he got tempted, he responded with scripture. Another thing that was very important that Jesus had was he had different wants. The devil, <clears throat> the devil puts a, uh, lays out a temptation that he knows I want. You know what? Jesus wanted none of those things. Satan said, you know what? You're probably hungry. Here's stone, turn it to bread. And Jesus says, don't want them. Got different wants. My want is the word of God. Well, here's the power. Here's the glory. Here's the kingdom. You want to be king? Jesus says, no, no. I want to go to the cross. You know, if you, and this is so, this is so important. If you get nothing else out of this message, get this. If you would ask God to change your heart so that your wants aren't so easily attracted and, and chained, uh, um, uh, and lured by the devil, but that when, when everybody, all your friends are getting boyfriends and all your, your friends are having babies and all your friends are getting promotions and getting the better cars, that you would ask God, God, give me the right wants so that those things don't lure me. Those things don't attract me. They don't grab me. That'll change your whole view on life. That'll change you. He had different wants. He was absolutely dependent upon God and not upon himself. You think about it. You know, you know what the devil said? Said, uh, hey, you're starving. Why don't you turn this uh, um, stone into bread? And Jesus says, no, I'll wait. I'll wait. God will take care of me. I'm not going to do magic. I'm not going to do supernatural when I can wait on God. God will do the supernatural. I'll leave that to him. You see, he's the son of God, but as a son of God, he lived as a man and he lived like I have to live, which is sometimes when I need to do something and I feel like I can do it, but I shouldn't, I need to wait on God. I don't need to depend upon myself. I need to depend upon God. Sometimes that's important. Sometimes you do have to act, but Jesus was absolutely dependent upon God for everything. I, I wrote this down. He didn't complain about being hungry, even though he could have fixed that. And he waited on God to tell him not only when to eat, but when to take the throne. That ought to blow you away. He could have gone right up and, and the devil could have put him right on the throne of Jerusalem right then and there. And he says, no, I'll wait on God to tell me when to do that. You say, well, I want to get married. Well, then I'll wait on God to show you when it's time. Who's the right person? That is, you'll be tempted to think God's being cruel or he's gone on holiday and he's not right and he's not good. 
and you go and you do your own thing and you will regret it. You'll regret it. Don't do it. Absolutely dependent upon God. Third, fourth. He had the fullness of the presence of God with him. Had the fullness of the presence of God with him. He talked to his father like his father was right there. You know, we, uh, we, we neglect our personal walk with God. We don't, we don't invite the God of heaven into our situation. Jesus always had the fullness of the presence of God with him. He looked out of that crowd and he says, uh, you, may, you may think I'm, my, you know, I, I'm alone, but my father's with me. Number five, he had God's promises and truths memorized. Jesus didn't have to say, ah, it's somewhere in uh, Psalms. Um, no, he quoted it verbatim. He quoted right out of Deuteronomy 8. He quoted scripture memorized. <clears throat> and it is imperative that you memorize. Why? Why do I have to memorize? So you can meditate and so that you have something to say when the devil attacks. That leads to another point. He had scripture truth for every temptation. He didn't quote John 3, 16 when he was hungry. He had another scripture that talks about bread and he threw it right in the devil's face like a sword. Hebrews 4, 12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's our defense weapon and our offensive weapon to stop the devil from luring us away from the will of God. Jesus had a scriptural truth for every temptation. Do you? When you're tempted to complain, do you have a scripture that says, better not, there's something better to do, praise, honor, pray for. Do you have that scripture? You have that, temptation won't win. And if temptation doesn't get you, sin won't either. Number seven, last thought, he stood toe to toe until the battle was won. You will never just be able to fight a battle with temptation and then go, hey, it's all done. No, you'll face another temptation tomorrow or maybe another one the next day, or maybe three at the end of the week, one on top of each other. It's called manifold temptations. Jesus decided I'm gonna to stand toe to toe until the battle's done. You know what, there in verse 11 is the best verse of it all. It says it was Satan who quit. Remember, we're in spite of temptation, our challenge, our goal is to press on in spite of temptation and not quit. Never, never throw anything that God gave you away for something the devil's trying to give you. I just love it to know the great truth that Satan will give up and will flee. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee. More about that next week. Let me finish up here. Next week, I'm gonna talk about how God is faithful. You see, I talked about our view of temptation and the work of temptation, what it can and cannot do. But this is the key. And by the way, let me just give you a little sneak preview. It does not say God was faithful. It does not say God was faithful. I know he was, but he is. This very second, he'll be faithful for you. So by way of conclusion, stop having a romantic view of sin. Sin and, and temptation is like honey for a fly. And you got to say, you know, I got to stop this idea that, that uh, thinking about other women, thinking about uh, other work and jobs. If God's got you at a job, you better stay there until God says, okay, time to move. Don't be lusting after another job and moving and, and ruining your family simply because you want more money. Stop having a romantic view of sin. Not every sin is evil looking to you. 
But if it takes you away from the will of God, it's wrong. Secondly, quit playing with temptations. Temptations are our problem because we sort of, we, we don't mind temptation. We sort of manage temptations. Now, there are times when you're, there's some things, if somebody dropped off cigarettes at my door all the time, I would never be tempted. It's just as stupid to me. But if I'm tolerating things that I know are pulling on me, that I'm given into, and I toy with it and I toy with it, I'm ruined. I haven't sinned yet, but those are my ruin. Quit playing with temptations. Have a realistic view of sin. You know, realistic view is this. Temptation has a deadly hook in it. The wages of sin, the results of sin, is always going to result in death. Now, you may not die right away, but your marriage may. Your kids may. Your health may. And it all will end up in a grave way too early. Temptation, uh, 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 temptation itself will always damage something. It never helps. When you're tempted to do wrong, there's never any good that comes out of it. Constantly draw nigh to God. God gave you Jesus Christ, who is faithful in helping anyone not only overcome temptation, but he'll help you resist the devil himself. You and I, the devil comes knocking on our door, we're, we're crushed unless we have a closeness with God Almighty. Draw nigh to God, we're invited. Have a relationship. Get up in the morning, spend time in his word, spend time praying, spend time loving him, praising him. I mean, worshiping him, casting all your care upon him and listening to him as he gives you instructions from the word of God. Constantly draw nigh to God. That's at, that's at 7 a.m. That's at 9 and 9.30 and 11 and 12.30 and 12.45 and 12.46 all day long. See, that's how you deal with temptation. I'm gonna ask you this, are you even saved? Are you born again? Do you trust the Lord Jesus or are you still trusting yourself? You know, if you're trying, if you're trying to be good all on your own, it, 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 you, you may get a lot of things done. You may get a lot of supposed sins defeated, but you'll still end up in hell. Because it's not, it's not all those sins that send you to hell. You're already going. You are a sinner. It doesn't matter if you have a zillion sins or just one you're a sinner. And that one sin on your record, I guarantee you got more than one, will send you to an eternity in hell because God cannot let sin into heaven. So if you think, well, I've only got a few sins and that means I'll be okay, you won't be okay. And if you work so hard to live a holy life and to do good and to pray and to give and to be at church and to do contrition and you do all of those things, one day you'll end up in hell and you'll finally realize being good doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus does. Jesus said, I'm the only way. No man comes into the Father but by me. If you go in any other way, you're a thief and a robber, Jesus said. So don't miss this point. If you try to be good all on your own and never get born again and never seek God's help, and I mean seek God's help as your Father, not just as God, <clears throat> you'll miss heaven. But you can finally stop. This is the good news. And ask God to save you right now. I mean, there's nobody, maybe there's nobody else looking around. And you can stop right now, bow your head, and ask him to save you, make you a whole new person. That means forgiven. Doesn't mean you're that you're not 
pulled by, by temptation still, but you're forgiven. And you'll, as you'll learn next week, you're empowered already by the Holy Spirit of God to live a godly and a victorious Christian life. So when Christ says, I want you to be holy, you'll find out I have the ability to be holy. So let's pray. Father, in this time, as we whew, try to process all this about temptation, the most important thing is that the devil would love to tempt us to think that it's not important and that we're pretty good already. And we don't need God. We don't need the Bible. We don't need the conviction, the, the, the guiltiness in our heart. God, you, you put that guiltiness in us to help us to realize we're guilty before you. And we've got to get saved before it's too late. We will either meet you as judge or as father. And we're not born children of God. We're the lust of our father. We will do the, the devil until we get born again. And then we get into your family. Lord, don't let anybody think that just by being religious, being Catholic, being Baptist, being Protestant, anything, is anything to you? The question is, are they born again? So, Lord, I, I thank you for this, this message. I thank you for the challenge. This month, God, I pray that we would learn that we are not faithful. We are always going to struggle, not only with sin, but with temptation. But you are faithful. <clears throat> and we need to find our, our encouragement and our empowerment there to live different lives, godly lives, God, lives in the middle of God's will, lives that honor you. So bless these thoughts, God, help somebody bow their head right now and ask you to save them. Cry out from their heart of hearts, Lord, if they would only admit that they're lost, they're, they're messed up, that, that magnet comes along and boom, like a paperclip, they, they always cave in and fail. Lord, if there's anything that's probably universal, that is we all hate failing after failing. <laughs> but wouldn't it be wonderful if long before the pull, we were ready for it? So Lord, we love you. I pray you just finish up this message now in Jesus' name. Amen. A way of invitation, I thought about the hymn that says, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. If you're struggling with temptation, you're struggling with a bottle in the, in the fridge, you're struggling with pills, you're struggling with drugs. You're struggling with bad friends. Let me tell you, don't focus on that right now. Focus on Jesus. The Bible says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and there's life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, and all the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus caught my attention. Where sin always caught my attention before, Jesus caught my attention. And I took the bait. You know what the bait was? The grace of God, the invitation, come. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll save your soul. That I took and I never regretted. Would you take that too? Don't forget, Zoom on Wednesday night. Send me a, 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 a text and let me know you want to get in, uh, get included and I'll send you the link. Thank you for spending the time here. I pray it was a blessing and uh, keep in prayer that soon we'll be back together. Until then, may the Lord bless you all. Bye-bye.